Hey there, Freedom Fighters. My name is Andrew Warner. I'm the founder of Mixergy, where I interview entrepreneurs about how they built their uh, businesses. And joining me is someone who, I, this business basically failed so many times that most people would have said, okay, I'm going to start over with something new. And today's founder didn't. He went from having a business that was bigger than Facebook in India to then having one that was completely unsustainable and basically had to be scrapped to now today, dude, all I see about you in the press is that you raised $100 million from Tiger. The business is worth $1.4 billion. And you figured out messaging for businesses. And you're, to me, Baruj Sheth feels like one of the few people who has. I'm, I invited him here to find out how Gupchup did it and... Um, we could do it thanks to one phenomenal sponsor. It's HostGator, but I'll tell you later why you should go to HostGator to um, host your websites. I'm kind of stalling here because, Brood, so you and I met, it occurred to me just minutes before we started this interview, because right. you used to do these events here in San Francisco. You invited me to speak. I was all hot on chat. Why were you doing those events? Oh, uh, I mean, you know, we wanted to, uh, you're right. Those are the early days of the sort of bot ecosystem. Facebook Messenger and Slack had just launched uh, bot APIs. Right, and this mm -hmm. uh, it was the early days of the conversational trend uh, that I think is still going to be huge, uh, but but the hype cycle at that time was huge, and you know, and so there were the ups and the downs and so on. But in the early days, you know, we really wanted to just host a meetup to get the community together uh, to figure out what people were thinking, to share ideas, exchange and stuff. It was a very small and active uh, community, and it was really exciting at that time. Right, I remember you coming and speaking and many others. Uh, so it was just good to build up the, the community of practitioners. I, I didn't realize when we met that you were also one of the founders of Elance, which is now Upwork. I had no idea that you'd end up becoming the founder of this, um, this unicorn startup. What was the name? It started out as Weberu. What was Weberu? Oh, that was uh, that was in the early days. We had some uh, crazy idea of the offline web, right? The web to go, as we called it then, which is, you know, those are the early days of the mobile smartphone ecosystem. Mobile mm -hmm. networks were not as good. And if you could take your iPod with you with all your music in your pocket, uh, could you do the same with web as well? Anyway, it was, uh, you know... Mobile networks got good, and while we developed some cool technology, it didn't, as a business, it, it sort of didn't work much, right? So we sort of pivoted away from that. What year was this? Of, I think uh, 2007, maybe 2008. Yeah. Okay, just around the time that the iPhone came out. And today, can you give me an example of how Gupshop is being used by businesses? Sure. So, you know, we are a, a messaging, a conversational messaging platform, right? What that means is you have banks and e-commerce and airline and travel companies and so on. They need to communicate with their customers in real time, right? So your bank tells you, okay, you spend, you know, $10 at the cafe. Your e-commerce company says your order is uh, confirmed, your package is shipped, you know, your flight is booked, your hotel is confirmed and so on. So all of these notifications uh, there's a billions of messages that go out from businesses to consumers, and there's a lot of complexity in the middle. So we have that platform in the middle that sits between these enterprises that want to send messages and the consumers that want to receive them, right? So it's sort of the, it's, it's what's called customer engagement, uh, businesses trying to, you know, communicate and update their customers in real time. So my bank might tell me via what, via WhatsApp that I don't have enough money in my bank account? So uh, great question, right? Traditionally, it used to be text messaging and SMS, mm -hmm. right? You would receive just a basic SMS. But these days, there are more messaging channels emerging. Uh, you mentioned WhatsApp. That's clearly uh, one of the newest and biggest messaging channels. And uh, then there's Telegram, Skype, quite a few others. And then Gupshop itself has launched something we call GIP, which is short for Gupshop IP messaging channel. But the point is, you know, it could be any one of these channels uh, that could enable the delivery of that message. You know, it depends on the user preference, depends on the enterprise preference. Okay. And what you do is you allow them to do it all safely and to not have to figure out all the different APIs and the different rules and the different formats of uh, information, buttons, carousels, et cetera, on these platforms. 
they just log into or connect to Gupshop and you handle all that for them. That's that's exactly right, right? In fact, uh, there are different message formats, like you said. There's also sort of one-way notifications and two-way conversations, right? When you, for example, when the user replies saying, I want to reschedule my package delivery or I want to upgrade my flight, well, then the business has to handle uh, those user queries coming in and they could be in the millions, right? And then do they send it to a human agent? Do they, or do they automate it, right? All of those options. I mean, it gets fairly advanced, fairly complex. And then if you want to automate the queries, then you need AI and other tools as well. But this whole idea of businesses chatting with consumers, right? Is a very powerful idea, right? For a consumer, chatting with a business should be as easy as chatting with a friend, um, to, to you know, get support, to buy things, to find deals and offers, whatever it is they want to do with any brand or business, they should be able to do just as easily as chatting with a friend. I, I can't wait for that world. I feel like I always think that it's there. We're almost there, almost there. It's coming and then it doesn't. But I'd, I'd love to be able to just text my bank and say, how much do I have in the account right now? And then get a response that's meaningful. I, I frankly... I can't even get them on the phone I'd, and I don't want to. I'd rather do this. All right, but that's the world that you're in. You're actually doing this. What's the revenue today? Oh, we, uh, you know, we ended last year at $150 million revenue run rate, right? So the business has grown substantially. Wow, we. Yeah. And, uh, you know, it's a combination of both sort of, uh, like I said, one-way messaging, which is very high yeah. volume, and then two-way conversational stuff, which is newer, but also growing fast. Um, so our, you know, the bulk of our business is actually in Asia, in India in particular, but we are expanding globally because, you know, these newer messaging channels work equally well all over, unlike text messaging, which is different in different yeah. countries. Right. All right. But, so let's see how you got from there to here, from Webaru, which didn't work to this, which is, which is killing it. And then also I'd like to hear what your, what you think the future of this place of this space is. Um, how long did it take you to realize that Webaru was not going to work, that condensing the internet and putting it on people's phones wasn't going to be the thing? Um, I think it was about two, two and a half years, maybe. Okay. Of just yeah. going in and what made you finally say, this is it where, cause I think you raised $10 million under that idea. Yeah, yeah, we did. And, you know, so we, um, we developed the tech, um, which was, I mean, it's a, it's a very interesting engineering and, and sort of computer science problem of how do you create a representative cross section of the web and keep it within, let's say, 50 gigabytes or something, something that fits on a little device or a USB drive. At that time, there were actually smaller drives and so on, right? So we, we developed the tech and then took it out there, right? We put it on pen drives or on a laptop disk or on a CD drive and things like that. And had some partners, you know, take a look at it, try actually distribute it, sell it and so on. And I think uh, the, the, you know, I guess it just didn't take off, right? I mean, I think so the, 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 the traction wasn't there. Um, of course, people would try it for novelty value. There was a lot of buzz and interest in the idea, but you know, PR does not a business make, right? So, uh, we just sort of at some point you just have to say, wait a minute, you know, this is not going to. Uh, not enough sales, not enough usage, right? Exactly. It, it, it's easy to dismiss it and say how naive we were back then when we thought we could condense the most important parts of the internet onto something that's like a, a USB drive. But let's look at what made sense about it. When you look back, what was it that was logical that, that you're proud of? Oh, well, I mean, you know, the, the, the logic behind it was really, um, you know, that, that's how we used uh, music, you know, devices. iPod had just come out, right? And if you remember, the early versions of the iPod had no connectivity. I mean, it's really, you just connect it to your laptop, download songs onto it, and that's it. You carry it around and, you know, you don't, uh, so so it was just, it just go with you in your pocket and you'd have access all over even on a flight where there's no connectivity or if the mobile networks were not good. And in the early days, you know, the networks were very, very slow. So, so I think it sort of made sense. It just uh, didn't anticipate how fast um, these technology shifts happen, you know, how technology Were there some aspects of the internet that did make sense? Obviously, I think, maybe I shouldn't say obviously, but Wikipedia made sense. It wasn't a lot of data and people could search and get real meaning. Were there other elements of the internet that made sense to offload? Yeah, I mean, I think, uh, you know, there's a lot of like, say, you know, travel information, tourist information. I mean, there's there's a lot uh, of yeah. redundancy and duplicacy on, uh, you know, duplicate information on the web, right? So if you really just say, okay, what 
how much content is really uni unique and meaningful and yet covers all of that, right? Uh, I, I think it's an interesting sort of uh, a computer science problem, like I said, but okay. I think from a business standpoint, it was just, uh, it didn't make sense, uh, partly because, you know, technology got good and, and consumers don't behave that way, right? They don't spend, they, they don't like to download, right? Even with apps, for example, if you think about it, there are millions of apps, but how many of us have any more than a few dozen apps on our devices, right? Yeah. So let alone trying to set up, you know, like 50, 25, 50 gigs of, of data. I mean, it just would not make sense, right? So, Okay, so then the next evolution, according to an article I read in Forbes India, was that you you said, I think what we could do is let people communicate via SMS. How did you find that idea? So I think, you know, the, the key was, look, these were early days of, uh, of mobile, right? And really, um, you know, some of this was, okay, if mobile networks are not good, what could we do? But as they were improving, um, we said, okay, how do we build services that reach billions of users, right? The amazing thing about mobile, again, we take it for granted, but the the sort of desktop web, if I can call it that, right? At that time was maybe a billion users, but the mobile, uh, give or take, right? But the moment you took it to mobile, suddenly the web became accessible to billions of users, almost four or five billion, and today it's a lot bigger, right? So when you look at that trend, you're just seeing this, you know, a whole bunch of new people, multiples of the existing web population then uh, getting online. And, you know, it's an opportunity to, for them to form habits, to create things and so on. So if you want to build any service that reaches every one of these users, sort of the lowest common denominator on mobile phones was text messaging, right? SMS. Uh, that's the only thing that works. So that was sort of the key insight to say, okay, you know, if that's the transport protocol, the equivalent of, uh, you know, IP messaging on the internet, right? Uh, then TCP IP on the internet. What can you, what can you do? And that's where we got started now. So we came up with this, uh, you know, so a lot of it was just brainstorming, looking at our own usage, kicking around ideas and so on. And we sort of came up with the idea that's almost exactly like Twitter at the same time that Twitter came about, right? If you think about it, it was also inspired by SMS and hence you have this word character limit in, in Twitter. Now, so it was the same thing, you know, publish, subscribe, you know, your followers while somebody could post a message and it would reach the followers and so on. Now, Twitter sort of because it was in the US essentially became a web product inspired by SMS while, you know, what we ended up launching was initially in India and it stayed as an SMS product, right? So it, it grew very virally, kind of like Twitter, same way, grew to like 60, 70 million users very, very rapidly. Uh, but it also dramatically increased the SMS traffic, which got very expensive. This was after Twitter. Were you inspired by Twitter and how they used to send essentially all tweets by text message? And you could also tweet via text message. Was that where it came from? No, because like I said, it's sort of about the same time, right? So we launched just the, the same service. understanding of the world. Yeah, we launched our service in about 2007, which if I remember roughly, I mean, so we heard about Twitter much later, Okay. Um, right? So, so no, it was sort okay. of different, yeah. Why India? Why not in the US? I think that's a great question. I think we, uh, you know, you're right. I was in the Bay Area, but our, the bulk of our team, uh, the engineering team was uh, was in India. And we were looking at, um, I think they just went with sort of parts that they were comfortable with and that worked mm. in, the, in that context. And so, you know, it's just one of those sort of uh, accidents of history, really. <laughs> and the way it would work is if I wanted all of my family to get my messages, they could subscribe to me. And when I sent out a message, it would go to all of their phones as text messages. And then if I wanted another group of people of all the people who I work with to get messages from me, they would subscribe to a different set of messages. And when I text it out, it would go to all of them. Am I right? Well, so, sort of. It's it's not like you could do multiple groups because on one phone, oh, okay. you know, you're just posting a message and so on. So it was really just, uh, I mean, you were the group, uh, you know, it's sort of like your Twitter handle. And when you post it, all your followers see it. Got it. Uh, sort of the same idea, right? So, so okay. but, but the cool thing was you send one SMS and then we would send out 10,000 to 10,000 yeah. followers, for example, right? So, and, and by the way, when they replied, we would also send the reply back to you so that you could reply one-on-one, -on -one, right? Which is kind of okay. like DMs, we call it right now. So sort of the similar idea. 
And the way that you wanted to monetize it was through advertising. And then from what I understand, a couple of things happened. First, it became too expensive to send out thousands of messages every time someone decided to, to message out. And second, advertising was heavily regulated in India. Am I right? That's exactly right. right. So I think both it got too expensive to subsidize and it was too difficult to monetize. So, you know, that came another pivot point. How big Uh, did you get when you realized that? How many, how many users? We were, uh, you know, it was like 70, 75 million users at peak. Uh, We were sending out like 4 billion messages a month or something. I mean, we single-handedly created this mobile messaging industry in India because we were about 80 or 90% of the enterprise messaging volume just ourselves. Because people loved it. I mean, this was really, you know, super engaging. Uh, That was the only way to communicate in large communities with mobile phones, right? Did people also have to pay for each text message? Did they have to pay their phone company in addition to the fee that you paid the phone company? Well, so, I mean, a person is sending one message, right? Which doesn't cost a lot. I mean, so of course they would pay for that, but we would pay for 10,000 messages, right? But so then do we, those 10, oh, so each of those 10,000 people is just paying for, but they are paying for that one message that they're getting. No. So the way it works in most countries outside the US is mm-hmm. incoming is free. So oh, to okay. receive messages costs no money. Got it. Um, it costs only to send. So, so the group owner, right? The publisher would pay for one message. Gapsha would pay for 10,000 messages and the recipients would pay for nothing. All right. So this is 2011. You realize this thing is not working. You need to pivot. Do you ever think I'm done? Let's start with a new idea. (laughs) Maybe I should. I don't know. Uh, No, I think, you know, for me, it just, uh, there's a few things, right? I think uh, when you take funding from investors, I mean, you, you know, I have a, sense of moral obligation, you know, at some level that you, you want to do your best and, you know, provide a good return to anybody that that backs me, right? I mean, that's one part of it. So I don't like to uh, quit or, you know, at least let's let's give it one more shot, if you will, right? So that's sort of at a, at a personal level. And then at a, at a business level, I mean, you're, you know, you're in it, you're thinking about it uh, so long as, and, and you're learning and observing, right? It's not like it, it dramatically ends one fine, I mean, one fine day, right? Your realizations are, are growing. And as you realize this is not working, you're also thinking about, okay, what's not working? Why is it not working? What can I fix it? How can I flip it around? Like, how can I change it? You know, and, and, and by the way, at the same time, what is working and how do I retain that? And how do I grow it and scale it and so on, right? So I think, yeah, for me, just giving up wasn't, an option or wasn't an attractive option. I don't, you know, like to do that. And in general, I've just believed that, you know, I think there's rarely a situation that you can't innovate your way out of right now. The only thing sometimes is if you don't have a runway and so on, that can be a challenge. Uh, we did have a little bit of capital enough to be able to navigate these things. Yeah. So what was working and then how did you use that to become a B2B company? I mean, what was clearly obvious is just sort of, mass engagement of users, right? Which um, at least sort of in the Indian market, we created, single-handedly created ourselves. I mean, that was working and scaling well because people loved receiving messages. People loved sending messages. I mean, it was clear from both anecdotal and, you know, quantitative, both qualitative and quantitative feedback was very, very positive. So clearly, uh, you know, this messaging platform as a way to engage consumers was very powerful. What was not working was sort of the business model, right? Because consumers, I mean, they love the engagement, but they can't pay for it. Uh, so we said, let's find, you know, let's keep the platform, but find somebody who, who can pay for it. And uh, clearly, you know, clearly just by shifting it to enterprises saying, okay, bank or an e-commerce company or an airline and so on, they have the same issue. They need to, you know, or consumer goods companies and so on. They, they're eager, they're hungry to engage their uh, customers, right? And they have the ability to pay for it. So, so that was the change where we sort of scaled back saying, you know, all these publishers that were just loving, you know, they'd share, I don't know, jokes and inspirational messages and so on. I mean, that was nice, but it was expensive for us to subsidize. We sort of had to scale that back and then allow businesses and brands to send out their updates. Was uh, which... it kind of like MailChimp for text messages for SMS? Uh, 
sort of, right? Uh, you, you, you do have a list of customers and you're sending out uh, notifications to them, right? But, uh, but they may, it's, the list could happen in, in many different ways, right? When somebody opens a bank account, I mean, typically your phone number is your ID, your identity, right? So that, um, and by the way, over time, even regulators required businesses to send these notifications, right? So these were just sort of customer lists and they would have any events, you know, several events would trigger these notifications. Like what? what type of events? Uh, like I said, right? Every time you charge a credit card, for example, you know, uh, you uh, get notified. Now, the interesting thing is even the banking regulators realize that this is a great feature because it reduces fraud, right? Because if you have identity theft and somebody else is trying to charge your card, but you notify the owner and, and so on, right? So I think it ended up becoming a, a security benefit and uh, and just usage, right? So much so that customers would expect that text message to come. And if it doesn't, they think the transaction didn't go through, right? Okay. So, so suddenly uh, a lot of these things. Also two-factor authentication, you know, as a one-time password for logging into banking systems, it became a useful tool. Um, with the rise of e-commerce, you know, basically every transaction, uh, right, leads to notifications. And it's a little hard to appreciate this again in the U.S. because in the U.S. a lot of this happens over email or maybe over a voice call, right, because you have a lot of call centers, you have, uh, you know, email uh, carries a lot of this. But in places like, uh, you know, but the India and other places are mobile first ecosystems, right? That's how customers came onto the internet just purely through their mobile device. So the email habit is not strong. The voice habit was not there. Uh, call centers, you don't, you, you don't have nearly as many. Uh, but messaging, it's all about messaging, right? That's sort of the most, the heaviest usage uh, of, the, of, the, uh, of the mobile device. So really just about, anything you do in, in your life, right? Your bill payment reminders, your, you know, transaction notifications and any alerts, uh, your loyalty points. I mean, just you, you name it, just everything is notified through, through text messaging. And this was before Gupshub started turning into a B2B company? Or... Uh, no, I think it was around the same time, right? Got because it. like I said, at that time, we had the biggest uh, sort of messaging platform. Mm -hmm. I think... Uh, some businesses were doing a little bit of this, uh, but not enough, right? And it's sort of, in a way, we both enabled it, accelerated it. We showcased our experience with these large communities and customer engagement, which also provided a lot of proof points uh, and yeah. data points for them, right? So we both created it and enabled it and got businesses to do it even more, right? So over time, they'd start with one use case, but then they added many, many more use cases and so on. So the volumes grow and, you know, and that's really how our business grew as well. And then another issue, but before I get into the other issue, I should say this interview is sponsored by HostGator. If you need a website, you should know I host on HostGator. You should host on HostGator. It's inexpensive. It just freaking works. That should be their motto. It just freaking works. Go to HostGator.com slash Mixergy to get their absolute lowest price. They'll give you a big discount. It's not even a big discount because it's already inexpensive. They'll give you a discount on an already inexpensive product, which will make it even less expensive and just as incredibly reliable. I love HostGator. Go sign up at hostgator.com slash Mixergy. So my producer put this uh, note in front of me about how 2013, despite having made this change to, um, to business to business, you were running out of money again. And it had something to do with how your expenses couldn't keep up with your revenue sorry, your expenses were outpacing revenue and you couldn't cut back on your expenses without hurting revenue. What was going on then? Well, so, uh, you know, like we discussed a little bit, right? Uh, businesses were new to using messaging, mobile messaging as a way to engage customers. And obviously um, our revenues were tied to their volumes. And if their volumes are slow to grow, then our revenues would grow, you know, slowly. And, um, of course, you know, we, we, we were eager to push it along faster. We had developed a lot of technology, a lot of use cases, a lot of marketing material, education, evangelism, all that good stuff. Uh, but, you know, um, some of these enterprises, they have their own timelines. They operate at a different pace. They have, you know, integration takes time and so on. So while, yeah, while we did have revenues, but, you know, it, it, did take a certain amount of a certain size of team to sort of keep the lights on, right? To keep the platform running, 
to to have it scale and to make sure that it's reliable and works well and continue to invest you know add new features and capabilities and so on so i think it's just uh, one of those things where i think a last funding round was in i mean until the recent one was in 2011 and but a couple of years later right we kind of came i think within a couple of months of you know sort of running out of runway ah wow uh, so yeah i mean i think it's really and those are hard choices right because if you sort of cut cost that can also impact revenue which is which becomes a bit of a vicious cycle uh, so it wasn't that you had to keep advertising in order to beef up your revenue it was that the infrastructure costs to maintain this to hire developers that's where the cost was that's exactly right yeah okay um how what's your experience setting up sales teams it doesn't seem like that's in your background how do you get an enterprise sales team put together fast enough yeah i think uh, look in general you know no entrepreneur can do everything so the important thing is to surround yourselves with with good people right so i think uh, people who can complement your skills who can build it so obviously you know i mean look this whole story i mean you're talking to me alone but it wasn't me alone running running the business right i mean there were clearly we had a, a management team we had a whole bunch of people i think 100 150 people and so on right so i think but but as the as the leader um the hard thing is, you know, especially in these sort of trying and difficult times, right? On the one hand, you want to be open and sharing about uh, business metrics so that everybody knows how we are tracking on a day-to-day -day basis. On the other hand, when the metrics are track are lagging, right? Uh, the expectations, uh, it can be a challenge to keep the team together, uh, to you know, to to sort of uh, keep a straight face, to make sure that let let's stay focused on the execution. Let's do this or or for example, even harder things, right? Like maybe we can't do the same kind of bonuses and uh, you know salary increments that we had previously discussed, or we'll have to skip this year and we'll make it up hopefully next year and things like that, right? So I think, I mean, those are sort of the hard conversations, but that's really uh, you know what a leader has to do in these sort of trying circumstances. So so we had we had good people, we had loyal people, but I found that in these situations, right? If you just authentic if you're just honest you're just sort of very clear saying look here here's the difficult thing but but here's why i'm still optimistic here's why i think you know there's an opportunity here and here's why i'm still here myself right so uh, i think and that that puts things in perspective and say look you know we, you have it's a roller coaster ride it can be there'd be ups and downs but i'm sure we'll get through this and once we get once we get past this, you know, obviously the, the the numbers add up and it looks nicely. the The unit economics were good, but just the aggregate, you know, uh, element was uh, sort of PNL was not as good, and we had to sort of ride that out, and you know, navigate those tricky moments. Yeah. So text messaging is what we've been talking about SMS up until now. What I know you for is messaging on WhatsApp, messaging using chatbots, etc. What's the first step outside of SMS that you took? What other? What's the first platform? Um, you know, uh, great question. In fact, uh, we've always been eager to push beyond the limitations of SMS, right? Because I mean, SMS is great. It's truly ubiquitous. Works on every device. Uh, but your restrict the user experience is restricted to 160 characters of plain text. And, you know, we've always felt that you could do so much more by making messaging richer and more interactive and so on. Uh, the first step we actually took, you know, to your question uh, was we, 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 in fact, pioneered a, a messaging app uh, called uh, TeamChat, which was, you know, probably one of the first examples of a smart uh, messaging app, if you will, where each message could have you know, uh, sort of logic inside, right? It could, you could have images and buttons and, and not just carousels, but it could also aggregate sales figures or you would have a poll or a survey right within the message itself. This was and a it chat would, app it's on its own? I'm looking it up and I haven't seen anything yet. Yes, yes, it was a standalone chat app. Now this dates back to 2014 or so, okay. even before I think Slack uh, and Facebook Messenger introduced. And was uh, this meant for teams to communicate within within their organization? Yes, that's right. Ah, okay. So you said we should do more than more with tech. Why teams? Why go into a Slack-like product? Well, I mean, because on the consumer side, you're know, getting consumer downloads is prohibitively expensive, 
right? I mean, I think um, if you had a consumer-like product, it would be even harder, right? So at least okay. with teams, you can go into an organization and if they like it, if the manager likes it, they can uh, okay. get the org to adopt it and so on, right? So so that was the initial focus. But look, those were, those were early days where all messaging, including Slack and so on, it was all very basic messaging, right? But in our case, uh, what we had said was each message could be an object unto itself, right? Imagine like a poll that you, for example, you see on Twitter now and mm -hmm. uh, could be a survey or could be carousel and interactive elements right within the message. In fact, I remember we called it, you know, chatlets. Uh, these were like little, you know, servlets or coding modules embedded yeah. inside a chat message. Uh, it was interesting. But anyway, the point is, you know, it, while the product didn't uh, scale, we just, we were the earliest to experiment with some of these interactive messages elements. And since since then, I think we've been pushing the limits of what's possible, right? So so we said, look, instead of creating our own app, meanwhile, you know, Facebook Messenger opened up APIs in 2016. So did Slack. I think that was around the time when, you know, we met first, uh, we were doing these meetups, there was a lot of buzz and hype around, you know, conversational experiences, chatbots, and so on. Um, and I think uh, it it did scale a little bit, but not far enough because I think uh, not enough consumers uh, were were using. I think Facebook Messenger is a very different kind of it's friends and family kind of chat experience, right? It's not sort of. Uh, because uh, at least in the U.S., it's uh, people use it in a very specific way. I was was Facebook the first platform that you went on, or was yeah, it, Slack? it was because I think Facebook, it was about the same time. I think yeah. And Facebook was really eager for people to build on their platform. They wanted to replace email, and one way that they were going to do it was by allowing companies to reach to reach their their users on Facebook Messenger. And I'm guessing their idea was eventually then they charge per message for businesses to reach their users, right? I, I, to this day, they haven't charged. So there was no specific business model. <laughs> because but they yeah, haven't I made it work were, for businesses. That's why, right? Right. Exactly. Because I think, uh, you know, it never took off in scale. Okay. And, and part of what you bring up makes a lot of sense. If I'm looking for messages from my friends, I don't want businesses flooding my inbox or else I'm not going to see the messages from my friends. And I could do it with email because there's nothing time sensitive or not much. With chat, everything is time sensitive. And if I don't look at chat because I'm afraid of all the spam in it, even for an hour, it takes away the utility of it. Yeah, perhaps, right? So, I mean, it, it, okay. I, I think I think that's probably the primary reason. But whatever it was, I think, you know, bots built on Facebook Messenger have, I think to this day, sort of limited scale and reach, right? We are seeing, uh, but fortunately, right, after that, WhatsApp, opened up business APIs as well and and so on. So I think we've seen far greater traction with WhatsApp. Now, even they have the same problem where, of course, you have friends and family chat, right? All your personal conversations are in there. And then when you add business conversations in the same screen. So, so of course, they're very careful and rightfully so. You know, uh, WhatsApp has a lot of limitations. They approve each account. They approve templates. Your users have to opt in. Users can also opt out and block and so on, right? So there's there's a lot of algorithmic controls to manage spam and such. Uh, but uh, but we're seeing a lot of interest in businesses, you know, especially in countries where WhatsApp is dominant, right? So certainly, uh, India, Europe, uh, Africa, Latin, uh, you know, seeing a lot of heavy WhatsApp usage, and when businesses start using WhatsApp to communicate with con with consumers, then you know, they on the back end they need to link it either to a customer support tool or or to an automated chatbot, right? So we're seeing a resurgence in in sort of adoption of bot and conversational experiences. And I think the the hype cycle from 2016, right, like five years later now, is sort of I, I think uh, achieving its its potential and and reality, right? And sort of that ties to the entrepreneurial journey where it's not like things are taking long and you're struggling and you say, give up because you always believe in this vision, but you say, look, the ecosystem's not ready, right? And when it's not ready and you can't rush it, it's a bit like surfing, right? You could be the best surfer in the world, but you don't have the right wave. You have no choice except to wait for it, right? Uh, but right. but you have faith or you have belief that it will come and it will happen. And sometimes you just got to stick it out, you know? And did you, you had businesses who were signing up to do these Facebook experiences, right? Yes. Okay. You know what? I actually invested in a couple of companies that did this because I got hot 
hot on the on the possibility. One of them was selling to larger enterprise, and what he told me was they were willing to spend money not for results but to learn so that they wouldn't be late to this. And the money that they were spending is not that much, a dollars $250,000 deal for a startup here in San Francisco that's just proving out an idea. It's a lot. For them, it's, it's a nice small investment to learn. And if they're hot on a new thing, great. If not, they've learned something that they'll use later on. That's, it seems like where you were maybe when you and I met in 2016, 2017. That's exactly right, right? So we had a lot of customers too, and it just ended up being that they were, uh, I mean, they were early adopters, but ended up being an experiment because, you know, if they don't get the user traction and the ROI doesn't bear out, then after some time, they just sort of move on to other projects. Okay. And then the one platform that you just brought up is the one that I've seen you talked about a lot, the WhatsApp business integration. What's different with WhatsApp beyond the fact that it's more, it's used more widely in other countries and used more widely, maybe even in general? I think, uh, see, compared to, let's say, Facebook Messenger in the US, right? I mean, in the US, people use text messaging already quite actively, right? And then Facebook Messenger is yet another messaging app. And um, while, while when you look at WhatsApp in the emerging markets, it actually completely crushed SMS, right? The, the P2P messaging conversations are just completely almost entirely migrated onto WhatsApp, right? So it, it really is the only messaging platform. There is virtually no uh, P2P SMS happening on the traditional SMS platforms, right? So, so it's an app that has very high uh, intensity and frequency of usage, right? People use it 50, maybe 100 times a day. You're always messaging and all your communications are in there, right? So it's a sort of a far more intense and intimate experience um, uh, of WhatsApp in, in India and Africa versus let's say Facebook Messenger in the US. So, so you're starting from sort of a very heavily used tool. And then when you allow businesses to engage and so long as it doesn't overwhelm the personal conversations, then those messages get read and people interact with it and engage with it. And if these messages are good, then sort of it, it builds on itself, right? And so, I'm on, I'm on Gupshup now, gupshup.io. I can see that there's marketing. Marketing is one of the first use cases that people were excited about for Facebook Messenger, the ability to send out messages and have people say, I want 20% discount and even buy within chat. Commerce is where, peop- where the user says, I'm looking to buy from a store. They load up the page, they load up the chat experience, and then they could see pictures and buttons that allow them to buy what's in the pictures, right? And then support. Which of these is the one that's most popular right now? Oh, um, I think certainly commerce, right? That's where the money is. And that's where, um, you know, always- I mean, actual always sales happens. are happening in, in WhatsApp? So, so for, uh, I think some of it, yes, uh, subject to payments being integrated. But short of that, right? Uh, now, when you look at a transaction, there are many elements of it. So certainly- you know, uh, browsing products and order taking is is one part of it, but then order confirmation and then package tracking, delivery, logistics, right? Things like that um, are, um, you know, there's there's many different elements to it. So people have started when when businesses start with any new medium, they'll they'll start with specific and small use cases and then say, oh, this is working fine. Now let's do another and let's do another, right? So hasn't fully gotten to order taking and payment yet, though I think WhatsApp is releasing some new features as we speak that will enable it and make it easier, right? So, so but but bits and pieces of the commerce part is getting, getting adopted. Um, and then the other uh, uh, next in importance might be support, right? Customer support. I mean, businesses provide um, WhatsApp-based uh, customer support to their consumers. And that, that again is a very effective, popular, uh, thing to do by by businesses. Yeah, that makes sense, right? You just send a message to a company that you've just bought from, you have a question, they can support you via chat. And unlike something like uh, uh, Intercom, for example, which happens on the website, you can just shut your browser, come back later, know that the, res- that the response will be there. But which of these is the biggest uh, is the biggest use case? Where, where do you see the most activity right now? Yeah, I think uh, re- commerce. I mean, everything commerce. transactions and commerce, um, you know, uh, and when I say 
commerce, I mean a little more broadly, meaning like say, you know, banking transactions, lending updates, bill payments, collections, you know, um, um, ordering, order confirmation, logistics, notifications, right? Everything around uh, transactions is is sort of the bulk of the use case. Yeah. Okay. Do you see more, uh, do you get more of your business now from messaging apps like WhatsApp and Instagram chat than you do from SMS? Not yet, but it's growing rapidly and I can easily see in a, in a year or two, you know, we'll be there. Wow. All right. So let's talk about the future then. What do you see here? What's going to happen in chat? Oh, I think, uh, you know, at, at the risk of, uh, I, I certainly hope this is more real than, than it was in, in 2016, but, but I have a lot more data points to sort of believe that that is indeed the case. Right. But, um, but, it's it's a conversational future where uh, you know the way consumers and businesses talk to each other will be entirely through these sort of chat interactions and it may be text it could also be voice okay um, I think if I take a broad sweep of uh, technology history right the way humans interact with computers uh, sort of it changes every decade or so right in the in the mid 80s when the PCs came about it was sort of the desktop way right you had a banking app and a gaming desktop app that you downloaded and used it. In the mid nineties, it became web, right? Businesses had websites that you use a browser to go visit there. And then in the mid two thousands, you had mobile apps, right? You had a banking app and a gaming app and you download it onto your mobile device and use it. And I think now the interface is gonna switch to a, a conversational experience where businesses and brands would have these chatbots, uh, if you will, and consumers would use their messaging app to go interact with these these different chatbots. And it's going to be as broad and as widespread as the web era was, right? You have what billions of websites and so on. I think every business, every brand has to have it because that's the digital storefront. That's where consumers are walking in from. Now, I think it's going to be, you know, through um, through conversational experiences. And and all of this, if it sounds really aggressive and audacious, I mean, you, we, look, we need to look no further than China, where WeChat, right, which is the messaging super app, it really is a tool to interact with every business, you know, at all times. And I think it's uh, a very sort of powerful example of what's possible when messaging and conversational experiences become very widespread. Do you think that we'll end up with chat where we text message or I mean, like write messages, or is it going to be more and more buttons being added into a chat? Um, I think it really depends on context. There are times where as a convenience to the user, you know, if you have four options then just present the options and let them select one, right. Which is easier than typing. Uh, but there are times where, you know, there may be a thousand options, right? Or it could be one of many things the user could do, in which case the user would just type it in saying, hey, you know, can I, can I upgrade my account? Because they could have said a hundred things and that's what they said, right? So, so now if it's structured interactions, they're easier to build. If it's unstructured conversation, then of course you need AI to, to figure out, you know, to decipher uh, the user message. Uh, to figure out what the intent is and so on. So, yeah, but I think both, I think it'll all happen. And even voice, right, will come in. A lot of it is just a matter of context, like what is being discussed, what, uh, are you in a private room or in a public setting, right? If you're in the car or at, in your kitchen, you know, voice is okay. But if you're in a meeting or in a public place, uh, may not work and so on. So I think, you know, to me, that's sort of somewhat secondary as to what, sort of conversational mechanism is used, but the fact that this is how we all interact with businesses is is inevitable. Oh yeah, you know what? I use Siri all the time, but you're right. There are places where it doesn't make sense and I have to hold back on it. Do you think eventually the Gupshop will work with Siri? Oh yeah, absolutely. Connect I mean, I think, look, we, yeah, we have, we have integrations with Alexa and uh, Google Assistant. Um, I think, I don't know if Siri has APIs or not, but certainly, you know, I mean, for us, each of these is a separate channel, right? Which is if a business builds a bot, it should work on WhatsApp or Telegram or, you know, Alexa and Google Assistant, doesn't matter. Why'd you raise so much money from Tiger Global Management? $100 million valuing you at $1.4 billion. I've seen this so many times. What was the, what are you looking to do next? Where's the money going? 
Well, um, so a couple of things, right? Firstly, we see this massive opportunity ahead of us, right? The 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 rise of IP messaging channels, right? Like WhatsApp and others uh, is hugely disruptive. Um, and then, you know, um, going from one-way messaging to two-way messaging is even more so transformational, right? So the, the, the scope of the industry has just expanded dramatically. It's a much bigger market. Um, it feels like a like a land grab, really, right? There's so much, so much to build, so much to invent, so much to do. Um, virtually every business is going to going to need it. It feels like the early days of the of the internet. So to be able to you know execute against that opportunity, to be able to you know quickly you know so we 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 are adding a lot of uh, you know we are expanding our team dramatically. We're whether it's in R and D, right? A lot of engineers or uh, also on the sales and marketing side, you know, taking it out to customers and so on. Um, We're looking at potential M&A situations as well, right? Companies that can augment our product offerings and such. So all of that is, I mean, it needs capital. And then on the other hand, there is a lot of interest from investors in multiple things, right? One, of course, India is potentially one of the fastest growing markets over the next decade or two, right? Very sustained, very long growth rates. Um, second, COVID, right, has accelerated a lot of digital transformation for businesses. Um, and, and then sort of messaging the industry that we are in is actually sort of the foundational platform. It's an enablement platform for, for e-commerce, for banking, for all kinds of services. So really, because of those three things, I think there's a lot of investor interest. And yes, we announced the $100 million round, but we have some more announcements coming up as well. Uh, more with funding bigger, announcements? Uh, yes, with even even more uh, and even bigger uh, sort of set of uh, funds. Wow, we okay. Yeah, so I think there's a you know I think we the important thing for us is can we use the capital in the right way for the right things and really scale up scale up the business. So that's what we focused on. All right, I don't want to end this interview without asking you about Elance. You founded Elance back in what was it ninety eight? Am I right? Yes, that's correct. Today, the idea of going online and finding a stranger who's going to code up anything for you, it's natural. It's not crazy. In 98, what was it like to get customers to sign up? Yeah, you know, it was it was really hard. I mean, things that we take for granted now, I, I was just joking with my uh, co-founders and early employees, right? Which was, it, it was really hard and it took, you know, two decades in a pandemic for remote work to become conventional wisdom. But back then people would say things like, you know, what if, you know, how can I, I, I can't work with someone that I can't see face to face. What if they run away with my money? What if they, you know. What, what if they don't do the work the way that you wanted to? Wasn't Odesk also, I think it was Odesk that would let you see screenshots of what your people were doing when you hired these freelancers, right? Right, right. But Odesk came much later. They, they were founded in 2004 or five, right? So back in 98, I mean, we were literally the the only ones and the pioneers. I mean, there were a few other companies, none of which are around at the moment. But but these are the kind of objections would hear, right? What if they don't speak my language? They're in a different time zone. How can they? Do they even know how to code in other parts of the world? You know, things like that. And uh, it was just a very you know the the internet really opened everyone's minds, right? Not just connected our computers. So. I think uh, it was difficult, but we found, you know, you made headway in sort of smaller segments, certainly software and technical and website development were the early categories, writing and translation and transcription and so on, right? And and mind you, in 98, you couldn't track location, but let's say when smartphones came about and you could do location, that also gave rise to Uber and Lyft and DoorDash and things, because now you can find a service provider right a block away from you, as opposed to the world away from you, right? So... So we had to focus on remote service, location-independent remote services, and also virtual services because the physical stuff, you know, wouldn't work as well on the web. So, yeah, it was uh, it was those were the days. <laughs> so, how did you get customers? I understand that what you did to get the freelancers were you went to ITT IIT Bombay and no, yes, that's did, right. you did, and then you started looking for people who could do this on the side, and they said, sure, it's great money, I could work on the side, made a lot of sense for them, right, students. Yeah, but with businesses, it was it was tricky, right? Uh, yeah. all, all these objections and so on. So I think the only thing in the beginning that uh, we would 
encourages, look, you've, you know, so you find these sectors where businesses are struggling to find talent, right? If you now, if you remember, these were the go-go days of the early days of the internet, yep. uh, right? It was hard to find engineering talent, software developers, website developers, and so on. So it's a look, you're, you're having a hard time anyway. And the ones you find are either not good or super expensive. Why don't you give it a shot? You know, it's, it's, yeah. and you don't have to pay if it doesn't work, but if it works, you might be surprised. It'll be a lot cheaper. It'll be better and so on. So people would just out of, in the beginning, just out of desperation, right? They would try it or lack of alternatives. And then they say, wait a minute, you know, these, it's actually in many ways, just as good or better. And it's a lot more cost-effective and, you know, and then sort of word of mouth. And then we'd highlight showcases, put them on the website, but it was a lot of, hard, you know, hard work in terms of evangelizing, educating, explaining. And we had to build a lot of product to, to address some of these risk factors, which are justified, right? We had to set up escrow and dispute resolution and arbitration and, and also tools for businesses to specify. You have to document everything, right? When you work remotely versus when you work verbally face to face. So um, I think all of those, so the product had to improve the marketing, the education, evangelism, Took a while, right? The, the marketing was partially showing off the wins. I remember Kevin Rose of Dig yes. was on your site talking about how he used Elance and the fact that he would do anything meant others were following along. So you guys were great with content marketing, great with influencer marketing. What, where was the heart of your customers? Where were they coming from? Was it online ads? Was it salespeople, something else? Yeah, uh, no, it was mostly, you know, we were targeting the sort of the SME market, right? So search ads, I mean, again, you know, we were among the earliest advertisers at Google. And what we found was Silicon Valley itself, right? So emerging startups, right, who who are always short on cash, they want to do more with mm-hmm. less, they want to move quickly, and so on. I mean, they, they ended up being uh, the early adopters in many ways. So I remember, in fact, even Tim Ferriss was a big fan of Elance uh, in the early days and so on, right? So basically the, the the startup ecosystem really resonated well with the value proposition that Elance offered. All right, and you stayed on till the merger that created um, Upwork? Well, so I, I was at Elance for about eight or nine years in an operating role. I stayed on the board for another five or six years until the merger happened. Mm. Uh, nice. Impressive as hell, and, man. And, and, and I'm still a major sh- shareholder, so I'm happy with it, yeah. <laughs> that. Um, all right. The site is gubshup.io, and gubshup means conversation. Am I right? Chit-chat, yes. Chit-chat. Chit-chat. In what language? Oh, Hindi, Sanskrit, many, many Indian languages. You know, I, I joke with people, they should remember this as the next famous word from the language that gave them yoga, nirvana, and Kama Sutra. All right. Thank you so much for doing this. And uh, I hope we'll get to see each other in person again. And I had no idea that that you've done so much. I had no idea the business was so good. You were just way like modest and calm. I think you've made enough that you can be an a-hole. You could. <laughs> uh, I, I don't think so, but uh, yeah. So, <laughs> I mean, you know, I just I'm just doing my stuff. I think I, I I mean I enjoy this. I do it because I like it, right? It's not uh, it's not an ego trip. It's not an exercise in vanity. It's really I genuinely enjoy the process of creating, innovating, inventing, you know, new ideas, uh, and making a dent on the universe, as they say, right? But the the rest of it, the trappings of it, are not interesting at all. All right. Well, congratulations. Thanks so much for being on here. And it's gubshup.io for everyone. Bye, everyone. Andrew, thanks so much for having me. Bye-bye. Thanks.